uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. Facial recognition systems are here. They've been deployed extensively along America's southern border and in its cities. And authoritarian regimes in Iran and Russia are using the technology to crack down on dissidents. And what's going on in Moscow right now paints a horrifying picture of how dangerous this tech has become. With me here today to talk about it is Lena Mosri. She's the author of a new report at Reuters about how Putin is using facial recognition to curb dissent. Lena, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to start off with basics on the show. Lena, will you walk us through what has changed about Russia's laws since the invasion of Ukraine and why it would want to use facial recognition software? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was already illegal under Russian law before the invasion of Ukraine to participate in protests that are unsanctioned or, or haven't been coordinated with the authorities. Um, but after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, Russia introduced some important additions to the criminal code. Um, so now it's illegal to publicly and deliberately spread what authorities call false information about the use of Russia's armed forces. So that's now a crime that's punishable by fines or by prison sentences. Um, and the sentence varies depending on the circumstances, but it can be between three to 15 years uh, in jail. And um, it also, after the invasion of Ukraine, became illegal to take part in what authorities called public actions aimed at discrediting the use of the armed forces. Um, So that's now an offense that's also punishable by fines or prison terms. And um, activists and lawyers say that it's not necessarily clear what kinds of actions, you know, authorities would view as discrediting the armed forces or as spreading false information, which makes it hard to know if if you do protest or you do post post something about the war on social media, if you then could risk spending many years in jail. Um, So these are some of the steps that authorities have taken to suppress opposition to the war in Ukraine. And I've heard that this is as broad as referring to it as a war, right? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a concern that that it should be referred to as a special operation and that referring that if you refer to it as a war, then people are concerned if they do that, that there could be risks of, of being charged with a an offense or a crime. So I think the 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 story that you kind of opened the piece with is really instructive for what's going on there. Can you tell me about what happened to is it Andre Churchnov? 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 Yes. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, so what happened to Andrei Chernyshev is that he entered a Moscow metro station on May 9 last year. He was planning on participating in an anti-war protest that day. But right after he entered the station, police officers stopped him and told him that he was on a wanted list. They took him to a police room inside the station without giving him more explanation. Then the officers, they, they had a tablet or phone with several photos of him. They told him that the Metro's facial recognition system had flagged him for detention because of his political activism. 
Um, he said that they then took him to a nearby police station and that they wanted to fingerprint and photograph him there, but he refused. Then he was released after a few hours without being charged with anything. And he actually rented a car, went into the city center, hoping to still protest. But all the protests or opposition activities had already ended, he said. So then he took the metro again to go home. And then he was detained again that same day um, in a similar way. And he was questioned this time about his views on the war in Ukraine and on President Vladimir Putin. And a man in plain clothes, so not in uniform, said that he was an official from Russia's Center for Combating Extremism, which is also known in Russia as Center E. And this man advised him not to express his political views because he had a young child to care for. And so Chernyshev said that he took that as a threat. He, he has a five-year-old son. And he spent seven hours, or he said he spent around seven hours with police that day. And um, police detained him again in similar ways um, a few more times in June, August, and September, also in the metro. They also visited him at home twice to warn him against protesting. And um, he, he had participated in several protests previously, like a little over a week before his first detention. He stood alone in central Moscow and held up a homemade poster uh, that said, peace to Ukraine, no war, freedom for Russia. And in June, he, he also had um, handed out badges with anti-war slogans. And he ended up deciding to leave Russia, actually. And he now lives in Minneapolis with his wife and son and uh, is applying for asylum. And he decided to leave after his facial recognition detention in September, which was the latest um, facial recognition detention, um, when he was uh, stopped by police on his way to work. Um, he said that police took him to a police station this time and kept him handcuffed in a cell overnight. And he asked them if they could loosen or remove the handcuffs. And then in response, he said that they tased him with a stun gun. And he also said that they didn't let him drink or use the bathroom and that they kept the lights on all night. And the next morning, they released him without charging him with anything. Um, and yeah, more than two weeks later, he then was about to get into his car to go home from the gym. And a hooded man sprayed paint on his face um, and just spray paint stung his eyes left marks on his face and after this incident he then received an anonymous letter threatening to harm him or jail him if he didn't stop um, expressing his political views this letter also contained a photo of the attack and then he said that he when he got that letter he realized he needed to leave russia as quickly as he could so it sounds like you you protest once, you you participate in any of this kind of dissident activity, and there are cameras all around you, you get put into the system, and then after, thereafter, you try to move around the city, and you are constantly going to be detained and harassed. There's, there's an algorithm that flags your face and alerts human authorities nearby that there's a, a political dissident nearby, and they need to be detained for whatever reason. Is that kind of 
how we think the system works? Yeah, and and this uh, this part of the system at least appears to be uh, mainly in the Moscow Metro. So I interviewed 29 people who were detained in this way, and they were all detained in the Moscow Metro, and also uh, a human rights group that monitors repression in Russia, OVD Info, documented 141 people who were detained in this way last year, and that was also all in the metro. So it it appears to be these cameras in the metro uh, that are used to flag people for for detention if an algorithm matches them to images from a database. And yeah, and and, uh, almost all the people I interviewed had previously protested and many had previously been charged with protesting so it does appear that they've been put into some kind of database and these so and these cameras are mostly in moscow that we know of yeah mostly in moscow it's not only in moscow but the surveillance is definitely very extensive in moscow um and the city said they launched one of the world's largest surveillance networks with facial recognition in 2017. Um, that was ahead of Moscow hosting the FIFA World Cup. Um, also, Vision Labs, which is one of the companies, um, one of the facial recognition companies whose software is used in Moscow's system, said that the city had been using its software since it was rolled out across the city in, a, in connection with that event, so the World Cup. Um, and, and also uh, in metro in in, um, in Moscow in the in the subway, um, the authorities said that they had launched a facial recognition facial recognition system there in 2021 that would allow passengers to go there um, by looking at a camera instead of using a ticket or a payment card. Um, and yeah, and they said, and also for security, but, and they said that the, that face-based system had been launched at all metro stations in Moscow and, and said that it was uh, the first city in the world where this system was working on such a big scale. Do we have any idea how many cameras that is? And could we also describe, um, I think for people that, that, that haven't been there or don't live there, don't understand like how big the Moscow metro system is. It's one of the, the, the larger ones in the world, right? It, it is a very large system, and and there are uh, overall in the city of Moscow, uh, at least in back in twenty seventeen and also in twenty eighteen, the city of Moscow said that one hundred and sixty thousand cameras had been installed in Moscow in in different locations. So some are in the streets, uh, but also many are installed by entrances to residential buildings. Um, and then, yeah, all, all Moscow metro stations also have facial recognition. Do we have any idea? This is, this is a hard question because so much of this stuff I'm sure is unofficial. Is there any kind of documentation around how many court cases these systems have been involved in? Um, as far as I know, there isn't actually, but I did read through 2000 court cases from Moscow that had been opened against protesters. Um, and I found of these cases, hundreds that said that surveillance had been used as evidence against protesters. Um, I found 
close to 300 cases that explicitly said that surveillance had been used as evidence against the protesters. And most of these cases um, also sort of directly said that uh, footage from city surveillance cameras was used as evidence. But then in a smaller number of cases, it was videos or photos of the protests that law enforcement had found online or on social media that was used as evidence. Um, and yeah, some of the cases also explicitly said that a facial recognition algorithm was used to compare the images from the city surveillance cameras to a database of photographs. Did you ever interview anybody um, that was wrongly flagged or said that they were wrongly flagged, that they'd never been to a protest and one of these systems just rolled them, made a mistake? So almost all the people I interviewed um, participated in in protests or ha- or were critical of the government. Um, but I did, in the cases that I read, I did read a few cases where the person charged with in relation to protesting denied taking part in a protest and said, I was just walking down the street and not doing anything. Um, so I'm not sure why I'm here in court. Um, and one uh, in a couple of cases, at least uh, the judge actually said that there wasn't enough evidence against the person charged with protesting because, uh, yeah, in, in at least one case I read, the judge said that the person in court looked very different, had a phys- has a different p- physical appearance than the person in the footage um, that had been submitted as evidence. Um, and in another case, the judge said that, yeah, that the person wasn't doing anything, wasn't in the footage, wasn't yelling anything, didn't have any posters or signs or slogans, was just clearly walking down the sidewalk. Um, so, so, yeah, there were a few cases like that in the court documents that I read, at least. Do we have any idea how this tech works exactly? Like who are the companies that designed it? Yeah. So the companies that designed it, so they're um, the city of Moscow uses algorithms from four companies. Um, one is a Belarusian company called Synesis. Um, and the three others are Russian companies, uh, Entech Lab, Vision Labs, and Tivian. Um, and some of these companies have used trips from U.S. companies to train and run their algorithms. Um, so Entech Lab and Vision Labs have used trips from U.S. company NVIDIA, and Synesis has used trips from U.S. company Intel. And... Um, in terms of how the technology works, like in the in the Moscow Metro, uh, yeah, facial recognition is used both as part of the fare payment system, but also uh, for security and passengers are photographed as they walk through the gates. And then a computer algorithm compares the face of the commuter to a database of photos. And if the system flags a passenger for detention, police will respond within seconds or minutes um, that's according to the 29 people I interviewed who were detained in this way. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, cyber listeners, thank you for sticking around. We are back on talking about facial recognition systems in Russia. So the NVIDIA and Intel chips training these systems, I think is pretty is worth talking about um, because that's pretty that's pretty standard for these kinds of systems, right? Like most of a, most AI systems like this are run or at least trained on Intel and NVIDIA chips, right? Yeah, I mean the, the facial recognition algorithms—they they need a processor like the chips that Nvidia and Intel make to function and to work. Uh, both, you know, the chips are needed both for training the algorithms, but also for uh, running them. And Nvidia GPUs are are very commonly used when it comes to GPUs. Nvidia are the most commonly used ones uh, in facial recognition, and they're popular for especially for training the algorithms because the chips are so powerful and the algorithms need to be trained on on such a large data set of of images um and generally yeah the most commonly used chips or processors and facial recognition are these fast advanced chips like like the gpus that nvidia makes and the cpus that intel makes and there are of course other companies that make them too but but yeah, it, the NVIDIA GPUs definitely are the most commonly used GPUs, and Intel CPUs are also really common in facial recognition. And yeah, and using these fast chips can allow authorities like police in Moscow to identify people in real time. And there are sanctions now in place uh, against the U.S. import sending over these kinds of chips, right? Yeah, so after Russia invaded Ukraine in February last year, the U.S. and many other countries responded with a lot of sanctions and export restrictions, and that included restricting sales of sensitive technologies. Um, And as a result of these restrictions, a lot of Western tech companies suspended all shipments to Russia. And NVIDIA and Intel were two of the companies that decided to stop selling to Russia in response to these restrictions. Um, Cinesis, um, which is the Belarusian facial recognition company I mentioned, whose algorithm uh, is used in Moscow, was actually already sanctioned by the EU and the UK before the war. Um, That's because its algorithm had been used previously against protesters and opposition activists in Belarus. Um, But then after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the US also sanctioned Cinesis for how its technology has been used against protesters, both in Belarus and in Russia. So there's already, there were already chips in the country. Um, a lot of these systems have been running for years, had been trained up, but there are sanctions in place to stop this kind of tech from getting over there. But according to your reporting, some of it is still getting through, right? That's right. Yes. Um, so Russian customs records show that um, when it comes to the, for example, the two U.S. companies I mentioned that at least 
129 shipments of NVIDIA products reached, reached Russia via third parties um, between April um, and the end of October last year. Um, and also uh, at least $457 million worth of Intel products also arrived in Russia during that period. So after um, the invasion of Ukraine, did you were you able to talk to Nvidia or Intel about any of this? Did they respond to you? They did provide provide uh, written statements in response to my questions. Um, they so Nvidia said uh, that uh, first of all that it had you know a brief engagement with Vision Labs and Entic Lab that ended before February twenty twenty two. So before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. NVIDIA also said, yeah, that it stopped all sales to Russia in March 2022 after the U.S. imposed extensive export controls and sanctions, but that it can't track every downstream use of its products. And when I asked NVIDIA about its products still reaching Russia after April, after the invasion, um, the company responded that it complies with all applicable laws and that it insists that its customers also do that and that if they learn that any NVIDIA customer has violated U.S. export laws or shipped their products to Russia, they'll stop doing business with them. Uh, Intel similarly said that they stopped all shipments to customers in Russia and also in Belarus and after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And they said that they take reports of continued availability of their products seriously and that they're looking into it. And to be very clear, uh, Reuters in this piece, and you were clear about this in the Reuters piece, y'all found no evidence that any kind of sanctions violation took place. A lot of stuff enters the supply chain um, and sanctions feel instantaneous, uh, but ships are in the water. Lots of things happen. Lots of third parties have these chips and a lot of chips were produced over the last few years um, for a lot of different reasons that have that have entered the supply stream, right? So it's kind of what it is. Yeah, I mean, Russia definitely has had access to GPUs and CPUs for a long time and, and started building the facial recognition system long before the invasion of Ukraine. So it's likely that Russia had the technologies it needed to build this system before the war and before the sanctions and export restrictions. And even the products that did did reach Russia after the invasion of Ukraine, that doesn't necessarily mean that the companies that produced those products violated any sanctions or any laws. And I haven't found evidence of that. Right. Uh the other connection I hear, think, I, I, yeah, sorry. The other connection here that I think is very fascinating that you really dive deep into in the piece um, is the connection between some of these companies and the U.S. government. Can you? This is like everybody's been working on the facial tech, facial recognition technology, um, and for a long time, uh, a lot of companies are working with a lot of different governments to kind of accelerate facial recognition tech for various reasons, including uh, some of the companies you talk about in this piece and the U.S. government. Can we get into that? Yeah. Um, So the four companies that I mentioned, so uh, the three Russian companies, Antec Lab, Vision Labs, and Sivian, and the Belarusian company, Synesis, 
They have had some contact with U.S. government agencies. So all four companies have participated in facial recognition tests by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which is that's an agency of the U.S. Department of Commerce. Um, and and TechLab um, also has taken part in some contests. So in 2017, EntecLab received two prizes worth a total of $25,000 in a facial recognition contest. Um, this contest was organized and funded by Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity, which is an arm of the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, which that's the office that oversees the U.S. intelligence community. And two years later, Entic um, Lab also won another prize. Um, this time it was a $15,000 second place prize in another technology challenge, which was also organized and paid for by that same arm of the office of the director of national intelligence. Did you reach out to them at all? See if they would talk to you about this? I did. Yes. And, uh, the, uh, the director, sorry, the, the intelligence advanced research projects activity. Um, they said that, um, its work requires it to maintain awareness of the world's leading innovations and that awards do not signal government endorsement. Um, they said that the challenges or contests uh, in which they awarded the prizes were for market analysis and that they don't have any access to or role in an organization's continued development of a technology after the close of a prize challenge. Um, a lovely canned and, response uh, from the U.S. government. <laughs> and the National Institute of Standards and Technology said that participation in its assessment is not a seal of approval. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that sounds like uh, the kind of response a lot of journalists have gotten from various government agencies over the years. What about um, – you also talked to – the head or somebody that worked at one of these companies, right? I talked to an executive at Vision Labs. Um, I also got some written statements from Entech Lab. Um, and uh, Vision Labs said that they provide facial recognition to Moscow via a third party, um, and they declined to name that party, citing a non-disclosure agreement. Um, they said that their algorithm had been used in Moscow since it was since the facial recognition system was rolled out across the city during the 2018 FIFA World Cup, which Russia hosted. Um, and they also said that their algorithm is used for Moscow's uh, face pay payment system, which is voluntary. Um, But I I found actually also a a press release from the city of Moscow that said that Vision Labs technology is used for a system in public transport in Moscow called Sfera. And um, the a lot of the people who were detained in the metro that I spoke to said police told them that the system that identified them was called Sfera. 
Um, but Vision Labs, the Vision Labs executive told me that he wasn't aware of the company's technology being used in other ways other than the two ways that I described. So the face pay payment system in the metro and the system that was rolled out across the capital. Um, well, it seems like that's a great then, way to build a, build a database that you use for enforcement later, right? Get people to kind of get, get into this pay system and you help, you know, quick access to Metro play, Metro. And then you've got up close scans of a lot of people's faces that you can then use for law enforcement. As we're seeing later, your reporting doesn't necessarily say that I'm just, you know, that's what it sounds like to me. Mm, well, the, a lot of the people that I spoke to and a lot of opposition activists, I think have that concern. And for that reason, they tend to not use face pay because it is voluntary. So they prefer to pay in more traditional ways um, than by, by using that. But even if they don't use that, there just still are cameras uh, in the Metro that have clearly been used to identify them and detain them. Can you talk about uh, the gentleman we talked about at the beginning ultimately ends up leaving Russia um, mm-hmm. Can we talk about some of the other people you talked to and what their experience was like and what effect all of this has ultimately on any kind of anti-war movement in Russia? Yeah. Um, so one other person I spoke to, her name is Luba Krotenko. She's an architect. Um, she had been arrested in the past for protesting, but then was stopped by police in the metro last year um, without being charged with anything. Um, And in addition to being detained in the metro, she also said that police showed up at her home seven or eight times last year in in March and April. And they warned her against protesting, gave her documents to sign where she acknowledged that she had been warned against protesting. And she tried to avoid them and stopped answering the door. Um, but then they started to call her instead. Um, and, and during one phone call last year, a police officer told her that they knew that she was home, but was just avoiding them because they could check the footage from surveillance cameras in front of her building and see that she had gone inside and hadn't left. So that's how they knew that she was home. And she then went on vacation and uh, like outside of Moscow and, when she took the train back to Moscow and got out of the train, police were waiting for her right outside the carriage that she had been in and asked her to sign a warning against protesting again. And she ended up also leaving Russia, um, is now in Germany. Um, and um, a lot of the people I spoke to uh, left Russia. Um, and yeah, my impression is generally that a lot of uh, opposition activists uh when because of the different pressure they have experienced and the risk of being jailed have have left russia um and generally it's um um what i've heard from people that were detained in this preventive way in the moscow metro and also from a lawyer who represents these people is that being detained like this really has a chilling effect because it sends the message that if you protest, you might be put in a database of potential protesters, which means 
that you could be at risk of being detained while you're just going about your daily life. And for some protesters, that means they don't only have to worry about paying a fine or serving a jail sentence if they protest. They now know that even if they've paid that fine or served a jail sentence for protesting, their punishment might not be over. There's a risk that they'll be detained again or visited by police at home. And yeah, so that in a way there's a risk of being punished over and over again. And it could happen or it could not happen. And if it does happen, they don't know when or how many times it will happen. So it's really unpredictable, which protesters have expressed to me also makes it really scary. Um, And generally in Russia, much fewer people are protesting than how many were protesting right after the invasion of Ukraine. And, and yeah, many opposition activists have left Russia. Yeah. I would imagine there's a certain, if you're going to go to a protest in Moscow, there's a certain risk calculation that you're doing. You, you know what the laws are, you know, what can happen. Uh, but but then two weeks later, be trying to get onto a train to get across town and be stopped then, um, even after you've already paid the fine or done your time, um, changes that risk calculation. Um, why yeah. do people – what happens if you just cover your face? I – don't know. Um, I know that some people were trying to avoid taking the metro completely. Some people were talking about covering their face. It's hard to know if covering their faces worked or not, because I don't know if the reason they weren't detained was that they were covering their face or if it's just that the system wasn't sort of set up to flag any protesters that day, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not like it happens every time they take a, the metro. It, it tends to be, well, last year it at least tended to be, especially on national holidays or or other days when authorities were expecting protests. Um, but people have definitely told me that they're going to try to, yeah, either avoid the metro entirely or cover their faces. All right. You're still on this story, I assume. Where do you think it goes from here? Well, I will be interested to see if we'll see more detentions this year in Russia um, on on national holidays um, or elsewhere. Um, these kind of, I mean, if we'll see more facial recognition detentions in the metro. Um, and I know that protesters I've spoken to are worried about an upcoming holiday, which is Russia's Victory Day on May 9th. But it's very unpredictable whether detentions will happen. And it probably depends on whether authorities feel that there is a risk of protest happening. Um, what's clear is that Russian authorities are capable of using the facial recognition, the, sorry, the facial recognition system to detain people if they want to and when they want to. Um, another thing I'll be following is um, also some of the U.S companies whose technologies have been used by the facial recognition companies. Um, I know that Intel at least has said that they're looking into the information I gave them about their products still reaching Russia. So I'll be following that. And I'll also be following um, sanctions and export restrictions and whether policymakers will take any action toward the Russian facial recognition companies that aren't sanctioned. 
Well, we would love to have you back on the show when some of that stuff lands and talk about it, see where the story is going. Thank you so much. All right, Lena, thank you so much for coming onto the show. The report is at Reuters. It is titled Facial Recognition is Helping Putin Curb Dissent with the Aid of U.S. Tech. Uh, it's a really great in-depth piece of reporting. I encourage everyone to go over there and check it out. Um, and if you like the show, if you like us here at Cyber, please follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV or at youtube.com forward slash motherboard where you can be notified when we go live. We will be back uh, one more time this week with another conversation about some of the scarier things that are going out there, on out there on the internet and in the world at large. Thank you all so much, and I'll see you next time. 